0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Welcome back to Healing the Grieving Heart. I'm Dr. Heidi with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and we're talking today about finding meaning after the death of a child. And our second guest is Dr. Joanne Cacciatore. Dr. Joanne Cacciatore found her life's purpose and challenges after the death of her daughter, Cheyenne, during the birth process. By 1996, the former stay-at-home mother of four had founded the Mothers in Sympathy and Support Foundation, known as MISS. This foundation is dedicated to providing crisis support and long-term aid to families after the death of a child. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's great to have you on the show. I am just so impressed with your website and the work you're doing. It's just kind of amazing, isn't it, Heidi?
0: Absolutely. It's wonderful. It's very comprehensive. Thank you. Yeah, we
1: were just uh, going on your YouTube with uh, different folks that have lost children. On uh, You can go through your site and uh, the Miss site. M I S S Mothers and Sympathy of Support Foundation, and it's just wonderful. Um, tell us about your uh, daughter Cheyenne dying.
2: Well, boy, that was quite a journey. Um, almost fourteen years ago on July twenty seventh. It'll be fourteen years, and and I do have to say that there isn't a moment of any day, of any week, or or month, or year when I don't miss her physical presence in my life. She, um, she died 15 minutes before she was born on her due date. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they had, she had a traumatic birth, experienced a traumatic birth, um, and she, she died and they did not make any attempts to revive her if they were concerned about cerebral palsy because she had been without oxygen for 15 minutes. Um, I would have liked that to be my decision, um, but it wasn't. And uh, she was eight pounds, twenty-two inches long. A post-mortem evaluation revealed no no identifiable cause of death other than the traumatic birth. So, mm-hmm. um, in terms of her physical health, she was perfectly healthy. Um, no, uh, she had no other identifiable mechanism for death. They sent me home. Uh, I, I mean, I could hear babies being born around me, and mm-hmm. you know the jo- the joyous delight of other parents in the uh, labor and delivery wards at the hospitals. Um, I had a completely natural childbirth, so I was able to go home within two or three hours. I think after she was born, when they took her, her body to the morgue, um, and and I was no longer able to spend time with her, or so I thought, uh, because options were not made clear to me at that point. I decided to leave, and I and I left the hospital. Um, like I said, about two or three hours after I gave wow, given, given birth to her. Yes, and I and I you know and I went home and. Mm-hmm completely and wholly unprepared for what I was about to face. Mm-hmm. Um, my milk came in the next day, and, mm-hmm. you know, I had milk for 10 months for a, for a phantom, mm-hmm. uh, a baby who died, and no one told me what to do with the milk. I had no, I did not see a social worker or a pastor or a chaplain or or really a bereavement person who was well trained at the hospital, um, mm-hmm. so I so I didn't really know what I was about the uh, anything about the dirty uh, I am had embarked upon at that point. So. Um, you know, things start to get grim from there. They, as they do during the acute crisis, of course, your brain, in a sense, shuts down and you go on survival mode. And when the dust starts to settle, your brain starts to fully digest what's happened. And and well, I over- well,
0: also, Joanne, in your case, not only are you emotionally and psychologically grieving, but your body is healing.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean you bet. I mean, that's one of the unique things about the death of a, of a young baby is that you're dealing with the aftermath of childbirth, which mm-hmm. even when the outcome is good and everyone's happy is traumatic by itself. Right, exactly. Um, and recovery yeah. is difficult even in the best of situations. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh I, you know, I went into a really dark place. I call it the abyss. <laughs> I weighed, within three months, I weighed about 90 pounds. Oh, my
0: gosh.
2: Um, I thought about suicide every day for 10 months. I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, averse to, to publicly saying that mm-hmm. because I think it's important to talk about it. We know that a lot Absolutely. of bereaved mothers think about ending their lives, and even, and even some bereaved fathers consider it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's such an, a state of utter despair, and you are so socially isolated from others. I remember being surrounded by people who thought thought words of comfort were things like, you know, well, at least you have three other ones. Well, at least it wasn't your one of your older ones who died, um, as if you can measure a mother's love by the amount of time they have with their child. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being surrounded by things like, you know, comments like, well, uh, at least she didn't suffer, or there might have been something wrong with her, or don't you think three months is too long to be still grieving? You know, those silly things that people well, say to, right. to grievers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I, what, I sat, you know, kind of, I felt like I used to imagine myself on an island, and I used to imagine myself as the only person on this island, and, and I was so alone in my pain that I couldn't bear, that breathing hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought to myself, I was, I was calling, uh, phone numbers out of the yellow pages, um, one disconnected phone number after another, looking for some help at two o'clock in the morning one day, and I said, this is insane. Someday I'm going to make sure that, 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 you know, that we give voices to, to women and their families after they experience the death of a, of a child.
0: Absolutely, and I have to interrupt you for a minute, Joanne, because you said at that point there wasn't a foundation like Miss, and you said breathing even hurt. And on the YouTube video, one of the, most, one of the powerful things I think that was on there was that um, a woman said, the Miss Foundation gave me air to breathe when I didn't think I had any. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And you didn't
2: have any either, and you had no place to turn. Yeah, I didn't. I, I eventually, after about, I think it was about four months, found a, a local compassionate friends group. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, because I could at least connect with some people there, um, and and was uh, extremely grateful. Um, but I really felt a calling for advocacy. Advocacy became my thing. I I really wanted. Um, I wanted for. For our society to, to understand that the way that we shape the socio-political system in which bereaved parents exist affects the microsystem. It affects the individual. The way that we stigmatize, um, losses related to suicide, uh, losses related to AIDS, losses related to stillbirth or, or, you know, or, or how we judge the, the value of someone's loss. Um, it, Comes from a larger political system and and I felt like this was really, really important and being missed and so so the foundation emerged out of that need um, to 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 pull people together in support um, of one another and to develop camaraderie and friendships that 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 really endure long beyond. Um, what many, many friendships do, but also to give people a place where they could find their voice, where they could use their voice for social change. I mean, I think that this is one of the most important things that, that bereaved parents can do. Look at what John Walsh has done mm-hmm. in, in the aftermath of Adam's absolutely tragic death right. or what, um, what Polly Kloss's dad has done. I mean, the, the most significant effects in our world often come from people who experience trauma and tragedy.
1: Mm-hmm. So you were able, and now how long after Cheyenne died did you start doing that, did you say? Two years. It was two years. Two years. Oh, so, yeah. so for our audience out there, I, some of them are fairly newly bereaved, and I hope you're hearing what, what she is saying so eloquently is that the first year was hell. You were even thinking about killing yourself. Mm-hmm. And then two years you started to move into some kind of action. So if you're newly bereaved, don't worry. Just survive, Right.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what I tell people all the time is that my daughter's life was worthy of pause. Oh, I like that. I Excellent. You know, I, I, she deserved for me to stop right where I was and say, you know what, I earned every tear I'm going to shed into my ocean of grief. I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to mourn her death in yeah. the way that she deserved. And I did that, and I got a lot of crap, i got to say. I got a lot of crap from people about it, especially the people who love me the most. My family, they were really wanting to prompt me to move forward before I was ready. Um, And I resisted those promptings. I said, you know what? You know, you guys can go on with life if that's what you need to do, but I need to stay here in my grief and wallow.
0: And I also like that, Joanne, because if if Cheyenne had lived, you would have been giving her an incredible amount of time and energy. That's right. That's right it was her dying you were still giving her and honoring her and giving her time and energy initially and that's okay like you Absolutely. said that was okay
2: it's not only okay it's necessary mm-hmm. i mean at least for me it was i yeah. i too believe victor frankl says that which is to give light must endure burning mm-hmm. those were my lovely Those were my burning days. Those were the days where I was in the pit of the abyss, and there was darkness and utter despair. And in order for me to transcend my place in the world, that is where I needed to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, you know, 14 years later, I mourn her absence in my life every day. I am by no means over it. I will never be over it. Mm-hmm. I, I miss her as I lo- and love her as I love my other children. And that's okay. I've learned to integrate that in my life. So You don't want to
0: be over her. You want to learn
2: to integrate her and have a new right. relationship with her. Absolutely. It's parenting of a different kind. You, yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank
1: you know, it's kind of interesting because we had Candy Lightner on the show and Candy Lightner founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving 3 days after her child was uh, killed and she said right out on the show it was too early and and I I did nothing but work on the foundation for 5 years and after 5 years I had to grieve my child's death.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I thought that was very that was incredible for her to say that because yeah. that organization has done so much good in the world that she herself felt that it was a little early. So if you're taking care of yourself, keep doing it. I want to talk a little bit about the misorganization because you're doing so many things now. After Cheyenne died, you took time off, took care of yourself. Then you went on after two years and started this. Were you a social worker at the time, or did you have to go through the whole education process too?
2: No, I actually went back to school. I was a stay-at-home mom. I went mm-hmm. back to school. I got a couple of bachelor's degrees and a master's degree and then went on for my doctorate. Oh, all... my gosh. Yeah, and it's and been, and a, busy, all it's been t- a busy decade. All the
1: time you were founding the organization?
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Amazing. So uh, what did you get your Ph.D. in?
2: My Ph.D. is in human sciences from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I actually studied with Dr. John Dufresne, who is one of the earliest researchers to study the effects of child death in families across cultures around the world. So I was very honored. I had been reading uh, Dufresne's work for quite a number of years and was totally honored to to have him as my committee chair. And and did you do your, your dissertation then on... The uh, death of a child? or Yes, yes. My dissertation is uh, actually on ritualization and um, maternal grief and anxiety. Interesting.
1: Now, ritualization, does that mean actually doing rituals or how, what is it?
2: Yes, holding and seeing um, the child after the, after the child died and uh-huh. the effects of that. Um, and, and what I found was very, very interesting, and it was that in the long term, holding and seeing the child who died, ritualization that centered on being able to say goodbye um, and, and taking their time with the child's body actually re- helped to reduce maternal anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the long term. Yeah. In, in the long term. Yes.
1: Now, what do you say? You didn't see your child, so what would you... Or you saw your child, but you didn't get to hold her after like you would have liked?
2: I did did hold her, but only for um, a few hours, and then they took her body. You know, um, there's a whole kind of home funeral movement, a wave coming about, um, which is kind of to deinstitutionalize death in society. And mm-hmm. what I would have liked are some options around around her death. Perhaps the option of bringing her body home. This is something that uh, until the turn of the century uh, most of our dead were taken care of at home. Mm-hmm. Strobe and Strobe just published a study on this and they found similar findings that people who had an opportunity to take their child's body home actually had lower scores of, of grief responses, well, and pathological giant, grief Were
0: Cheyenne siblings able to hold her and say goodbye
2: as well. Unfortunately, not. I, I was mm-hmm. under a great deal of pressure from Absolutely. my family of origin not to allow my children to see her, and they were mm-hmm. ages three, four, and five, and they still suffer to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, especially my second son, who's now twenty, has his sister's name tattooed on his arm, and he was mm-hmm. actually seeing the school counselor because he was feeling angry at me for not allowing him to come and say goodbye to her. Mm-hmm. Huge mistake on my part. Huge mistake. Okay, but now
1: te- now tell me. It's a huge mistake on your part. We have got an audience of people who are feeling they've made some huge mistakes. How do you deal with that? How can they deal with it?
2: Well, one of the ways that I did with, did, dealt with it with my children was I sat down and I had an on, honest conversation. I apologized and I asked their forgiveness. Um, I, I believe that I, in that moment was making I was making decisions from a place of complete and utter despair and confusion. Well was and Joanne,
0: wasn't the medical community also giving you advice on how to
2: proceed? You bet they were. And it the sounds advice. like they need to be educated as well on these kind of issues. And Absolutely, and happen. that's part of what—and that's part of what I do. I just got back. I taught at UC Davis for a week, and mm-hmm. and I work with local hospitals and hospitals around the country to help teach psychosocial intervention skills. You this is critically important because how do you expect people to make a decision today and understand the potential ramifications in one year, or five years, or ten years on that family? Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and so the onus of responsibility falls on caregivers to be educated and prepared to guide families through these traumatic experiences. Absolutely. So, so what People I did was... You
0: can't be expected to know what to do at that moment
2: because you didn't expect it. for your daughter to be born dead. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what I told my children, and I asked their forgiveness. And they, of course, graciously um, offered me their forgiveness. And instead what I've done is included them in other, in other acts of ritual since then. I've mm-hmm. given them other opportunities to, um, to share in their sister's experience of, of life and death.
1: And so what kind of opportunities can our audience mm-hmm. give? You know, what are some ideas for them?
2: Well, we do candle lighting. We have National Children's Memorial Day, and my children have all spoken at National Children's Memorial Day, written things and, and spoken. Uh, we have gone to the cemetery together often, often throughout the years as a family, and, and I give them opportunities each to spend their own time alone with her, at the grave site, you know we, you know all of us will go and take a little walk around while they individually spend alone time. Um, I have given. Okay,
1: what life. if my family thinks that's nuts?
2: Yeah, you know, not well, my
1: immediate family, my my uncles and aunts you know, and people out in the world. What about that?
2: Well, you know, people may think you're nuts. I mean, you know, here's the thing: it's impossible to know what what helps one person may not help another person. Mm-hmm. What what may call to you or speak to you and provide you with some degree of healing may be different for me. Also, that person may not have ever had an experience of loss, so how in the world would they know mm-hmm. what would work for them? So, I yeah. mean, I encourage people to do things that feel right for them and explain to their family if their family doesn't understand, this is just what I need, and I hope that even if you don't understand that you love me enough to just support me in this. Mm-hmm.
1: Now talk a little bit about, I know something that's very dear to, to mother's hearts is talk about getting birth certificates for stillbirths.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, this is the irony is that um, in every state, all 50 states, when my daughter um, died 15 minutes before she was born on her due date, uh, the state of Arizona issued me a death certificate, and there was a mandate that I had to bury or cremate. Of course, there's a dead human body. What are you going to do with it? Of course, and I wanted to, um, but when I called the state of Arizona to ask for her birth certificate, they said that I wouldn't get a birth certificate. Now, Oriana Salachi, beautiful author, um, wrote, the worst is having to say that one has not existed. Mm-hmm. And there's an implicit message in there. When we tell a woman, here's your death certificate, yes, you have to bury your baby, there's, there's, there's an implicit message to her that your baby never existed and by denying the existence of the baby in a sense you deny her very existence because the mother identifies so much with her baby well and the day that you had
0: Cheyenne you had known Cheyenne for 9 months 10 and months had a yeah 40 weeks with Cheyenne yes absolutely before, before she
2: was born so i mean there was a bond there already Oh, absolutely. And then let's not forget the trauma of childbirth itself. Right. So, um so you know, I called the state and I said I got her her death certificate but not her birth certificate and they said well you wouldn't get you won't get one because she wasn't born. <laughs> well, I had of course breast milk and 10 months of right. pregnancy and a big sagging belly where where And a baby al- that you held. And a baby right. I held that buried and um and you delivered her and I gave birth to her indeed. Right. So so um so I lobbied. I began to lobby and uh, fought for, to change the law so that it could be an option. It does, didn't cost the state anything. In fact, it's revenue generating for the state of Arizona because there's a fee attached to it where mm-hmm. if women and their families would like to get a certificate of birth resulting in stillbirth, not a certificate of live birth, that's what they currently issue, right. certificate of live birth, not a certificate of live birth, but a certificate of birth resulting in stillbirth that they have the option to, to do so. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have been successful in 24 five states we have failed in new york um new york politics have have again blocked our efforts at giving women the choices that they deserve after this experience Mm
1: -hmm. all right so if some of our listeners are from new york and they want to work on this how would they get in touch with you
2: um contact me please at um dr underscore dr underscore joanne j-o-n-n-n-e at missfoundation.org
1: and you can go on the Internet and go to the Miss Foundation website. It's truly amazing. And for you folks in the Arizona area, you have some groups, right, and some things going on. Yes, there.
2: we actually. Except
1: nationally, too, don't you? Internationally.
2: We just started our 75th group in Romania.
1: Oh, fantastic. You, well,
2: Jane.
1: it's time for us to close the show now, and I want to thank you so much. It's been uh, great having you on the show, Well, Joanne. thank
2: you, and thank you for your good work. I, I'm just so appreciative of what you do. Thank you both.